Father, this morning, um, we come here needing a touch from you. We come needing to be reminded of you in our lives and in our world. And some of us come with little problems and some of us come with big problems. But we all come with this deep need in our hearts and souls for the love and grace and redemption that you offer in a way that nothing in this world can. So God, today I pray that you would open our minds and hearts to see the story of this baby boy born in Bethlehem in a new way. Help us, Lord, to see you again or maybe even for the first time. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one of the things I love about Christmas is the decorations. I'm a, I, I love Christmas decorations. I, I don't think I'm the only person that in January when all the decorations come down, my house just looks empty. Like, I really believe that I, there should be a tree in my house at all times. It's just such a good, thick, warm feeling. I love all the Christmas decorations we put up. My favorite decorations of all, though, are, are by far and away nativity scenes. I don't know why. I know it's a little cheesy. I know that people will say they're not even accurate biblically. I get all that, and yet I still love them, so don't judge. Um, they're great, and we have collected them over the years. We have a number of them all around our house. We have the traditional nativity. This one my mom hand-painted for us. It's just like the one in my house, uh, back in my parents' house that I grew up with. So it not only reminds me of Jesus, but it also just has this nostalgic feeling of childhood Christmas for me. Uh, and then we have uh, kind of the trendy Hallmark nativity that I think is, you know, I don't even know how I feel about saying trendy and Hallmark with nativity in the same sentence. And it doesn't even have the right number of stars, but I, we have it and there it is. It's a good one. Um, we have this nativity set, the little people nativity. This one was purchased, and some of you laugh, but some of you have this, because this one was purchased when my kids were little to keep them from playing with the one that my mom hand-painted, right? We said, oh, you can't touch this one, but, you know, go at it with this one. And this is a great nativity scene, especially if uh, the baby Jesus is attacked by the evil Emperor Zerg, because there's Buzz there to protect and lend a helping hand with Woody. Um, and then here's a nativity scene that my daughter created when she was in kindergarten, the, before you all, listen to the title, The Toilet Paper Roll Nativity. <laughs> Proving that anything in the world can be created out of toilet paper rolls, right? Like, and I'm not sure if this nativity has either deep theological meaning or is somewhat heretical. Every year I wrestle with that. But it's a keeper and it comes out every year on that same paper plate. Uh, the paper plate just keeps going. Anyway, uh, and then for, last but not least, my favorite nativity is the nativity I got on my very first trip to Africa. I was there with a dear, dear friend of mine who's a Nigerian African pastor, and he took me to get a handcrafted Nigerian nativity. And there's something about this nativity set that I love because it, it reminds me that Jesus came for people all over the world, and that on this day and then during this season, uh, Followers of Jesus all over the globe are united in remembering and celebrating the birth of Christ. So I love uh, that nativity scene for that reason. Well, the point is this. We're all familiar with nativity scenes. We see them around at Christmas. We, a lot of us have them in our homes. But this year we've been diving in a little deeper. We've been kind of stepping into the nativity of Jesus. Remember the word nativity? It just means the events surrounding a birth. And we've been 
stepping into the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. And we've been asking, what does Christmas look like from the inside? What do we learn about the birth of this baby from the people who were actually there? And so this morning, I... I have this nativity scene here. Josh is going to help me with it. I actually went to get my little people nativity scene and, and bring it up. And Mary and Joseph are missing. They like bailed out on Jesus in the middle of the story, which I'm pretty sure is not biblical. Um, and so I had to ask around and get a different set. And Paul and Bethany said, our, our children's pastors, we have one that was actually hand carved in Bethlehem. So this is like the legitimate, real article right here. And what I want to do this morning is just remember these characters again. Remember who they were, what they experienced, and then ask this question. How does this baby impact and change their lives? And how does this baby want to impact and change our lives still today? And so first, we'll start with... Oh, he, they got shifted around. Come on, Josh. You can, Joseph goes there. The shepherd's in the back. He doesn't get front and center. We start with the shepherd in the back. Josh is messing with me right now, I think. On Christmas Eve, Josh, we start with the shepherds. Right in the middle of the story, we read these words. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. And I know you've heard it before, but we must never forget how absolutely shocking this news is. Shepherds were at the bottom of the totem pole in terms of their social status. They were outcasts who lived on the margins of society, on the fringe. They were not well respected. They were not considered to be religious. In fact, it would have been hard to find a group of people more insignificant, irrelevant, and unimportant than shepherds. And yet, here they are, right in the middle of the most important birth in human history. Listen to what it says. This is Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. These nobody insignificant people out in an unimportant, insignificant place. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, even you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You see, right away in the story, we find that there is something about this baby that transcends all of our categories of social status. There is something about this baby that says it doesn't matter who you are. It does not matter what you do. It doesn't matter what this world thinks of you or if they even notice you. God does. He sees you. You're not unimportant or insignificant to him. In fact, I would say that these words that the angel spoke to those shepherds years ago are actually the very same words that God wants to speak to you and me today. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So we have the shepherds. Next, we have Joseph. This is from Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. This is the very beginning of Matthew's story on this. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. 
Remember Joseph? Remember the plans he had for his righteous life? To marry the nice young girl from Nazareth, to have the house with the white picket fence and the 2.2 kids and the respectable job in town? You see, Joseph is a guy who has a plan for his life. This is how he envisioned it. Straight and narrow, right down the middle. But, the text tells us, but, Matthew says, and this is the very first but in Joseph's story. This is the first of several curveballs he will get. But, before they came together, Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her. You see, Joseph knows what he wants for his life and this is not it. This does not fit the plan. Marrying a pregnant girl, that is not in his script. So he'll jump off the path. But, Verse 20, and this is the second but. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So right in the middle of the Christmas story is this guy named Joseph. Maybe you know him. Maybe you know someone like him. He's a guy who finds his life on a road he never thought he'd be on. A guy facing challenges he never thought he'd face. A guy traveling down a path and wondering, how did I end up here? How did my life go this direction? You ever been there? You ever had those thoughts or feelings? You ever thought to yourself, this is not what I envisioned for my life? Not this job, not this marriage, not this health condition, not this financial reality, not this relational dynamic with my parents or family or kids. This is a picture that has gripped me all season. We showed it a few weeks ago, but it just continues to stick in the forefront of my mind. And there are a lot of things about it that I love, but perhaps most of all, it's the look on Joseph's face the weight he seems to be carrying, the uncertainty, the doubt, the unknown. And at the same time, with all that weight, as he looks down at that baby, there's just this subtle glimmer of peace. Maybe you're like Joseph this year. Maybe you're facing some unknown, some doubt, some uncertainty. And the message of this baby is, whatever path you're on, God wants to meet you there. And he wants to bring you peace. And he wants to offer hope amidst all of the uncertainty that you feel. That's Joseph. Maybe you can relate. Then there's Mary, a 13 or 14-year-old girl. She's got her whole life ahead of her and then one day an angel shows up and in an instant, everything changes. It all looks different now. The angel, you know, is noticing that the first words the angel speaks to Mary, here's what the angel says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And I was thinking this week, that sounds so positive. 
Like, that's a positive message. Like, greetings, you're highly favored. The Lord is with you. I mean, I'm thinking, what could come after that statement? What might I anticipate God might say if he said, you're highly favored, I'm with you? Like, let's hear it. What are the plans from there? Like, how's this going to go? I can only imagine, you know, Mary's thinking, show me the showcase showdown, Bob. You know, let's, let's do this. Showcase number one, is it going to be a car or a boat or a motorhome? Let's see this thing. But instead, instead of a nice showcase, Mary gets this news. You're pregnant out of wedlock. And if I'm Mary, I think I'm saying I'll pass. I'll take showcase number two. I'm going to bid on that one. But if you read on in the story, Mary's, we're told some things about Mary, and they're the words that most strike me about her this year in the Christmas story. Listen to what it says. It says, Mary was greatly troubled. The predominant emotion, the number one feeling that flooded Mary's heart was that she was feeling tremendous stress. Anxiety, fear, terror, sleepless nights where try as she may, she just could not stop her mind from racing. You see, for Mary, it's not just that she doesn't know what's ahead It's that she does know. She can predict it. She can see. And this whole thing's a mess. What will people think? What will they say? What will she tell her parents? How does she even go about breaking the news to them? Her marriage? That's over. I imagine that Mary, in the midst of the Christmas story, often looked at the challenge before her and was very tempted to think, Why me? Why did I have to be the one highly favored? I just can't do this. It's just too hard and too difficult. You ever been there? You ever been in that place where you knew what was ahead and you were looking down the road and you thought, I don't want this story. I don't want this road. I don't want this task. I don't want this life. Maybe you can relate with Mary. You know, it's in to that kind of a place that we actually discover what's so amazing about Jesus, what's so amazing about this baby. Because he's not just offered to people whose lives are planned out and put together and profound. God comes to earth, sends his son, is born a baby to people like Mary and Joseph and shepherds and you and me. He comes down right in the middle of chaos, right in the middle of fear and uncertainty, right in the middle of the big mess as a baby. You know, a lot of times at Christmas, and I've talked about this before, uh, we'll focus on how, how crazy it is that God would choose to be a baby, that he wouldn't come as someone stronger or more powerful or, or more influential. And we think how, how sort of counterintuitive that is. How wild it is that God chose to be a baby. And that's all true. I've certainly felt that and thought that before. But this year I've been thinking something different. This year, when faced with the reality that God came as a baby, I've been thinking, of course. Of course he did. Of course God came as a baby. And I'll tell you why. Have you ever noticed how much hope and life and love a heal- and healing that a baby brings to any situation. You take any situation in the world, even 
situations that are the most dire, and you insert a baby, and there's just a, a spark of hope. These are some of the pictures from our nativity art exhibit in the South Hallway. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you are a baby person or if you are not a baby person. I am a baby person. My wife wasn't really a baby person. Um, but everyone, no matter what side of the line you fall on, every single person, when they see these pictures, can't help but smile, at least on the inside, just a little. Because there's something about a baby in there. I'll never forget one of the very first funerals I ever did was for a family that had tragically lost their teenage son, and it was hard. It was a long, hard week. It was a week filled with sadness and sorrow and grief that, quite frankly, no words could console. But at the funeral that week was this young man's sister. She was just a bit older than him, and she had just had a baby, his nephew, And friends, that baby did things for people that week that nothing else could. People who had been sobbing only moments before would seek him out and forget all their pain and grief just for a moment. That little baby, in a way that no one else could, brought laughter amidst the tears, brought hope amidst the sorrow. It was like he was this little oasis of life in a desert of deep despair. Friends, it's no wonder that when God came into the world to be light in the darkness, he decided to come as a baby. Of course he did. Because he didn't just come to instantly fix everything. He didn't come to just instantaneously wipe all of our struggles away. The Bible says someday he'll return. Someday he'll come back. And next time he will come as a king. And he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And... Injustice and sorrow and sadness and grief and pain and death and loss and disease, it will all go away. But the first time he came, he just inserted himself into those issues. He didn't wipe them away. Instead, the Bible says he came to give us hope amidst our struggles. He's come to remind us that there is something greater than our struggles. You know, one of the things I love about the Christmas story, and by the way, if you haven't read it for a while... Grab a Bible sometime this week. Open to uh, Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 2 and just reread this story because it is filled with high drama. But right in the middle, right in the middle of the fear and the doubt and the obstacles and the ever-shifting and changing plans sprinkled all throughout this story are words like these. Good news. Great joy. Praise. Worship. Favor. Peace, mercy, glory. And again, it's not because the characters of this scene have nice, neat, little perfect lives. It's because the joy of the gift overwhelms their lives. It's sort of like this. I'll give you an illustration here, and I'll warn you, this illustration requires you to, to imagine that you are a middle school kid. So let's, some of you, that's going to be like a stretch. Some of you don't want to go back there. But come with me and become a seventh grader again. It's sort of like you're a seventh grader, and on your way to school one day, some punk high school kids drive by and throw a cup of code red Mountain Dew all over you. 
Now it's on your shirt and it's on your jeans and you're sticky from head to toe and you're stained red for the rest of the day. You're utterly humiliated. Then, on your way to first period, being laughed at by kids, you realize you forgot your backpack at home and your math project that is due this morning, it's in there, and you tell the teacher, but he says, if you don't have it, you get an F. Between second and third period, the person you've been dating dumps you because some vicious rumors have been spread about you all over Facebook, and the entire school is talking about them. Then when you get to your locker... You hear that the final cuts are posted for the team you tried out for last week. And while all your friends made the team, you didn't make the cut. You miss the bus after school and have to walk home. And all you can think the whole way is, this has got to be the worst day of my life. And you're humbled and depressed and humiliated. You walk in the door and you see your mom... She can tell things haven't gone well just by looking at your shirt and she says, well, guess what? I have a surprise for you. Tomorrow, we're going to Hawaii for a three-week vacation. We've invited your three best friends. You're going to have your very own luxury suite on the top floor of our hotel overlooking the ocean. I've booked a helicopter tour. There's a snorkeling expedition. There are several excursions on a private yacht. And by the way, I'm throwing in a $3,000 spending purse allowance for you and each of your friends just to use as fun money in whatever way you choose. Now, in that moment, when you learn that news, when you receive that gift are you happy or sad are you depressed or ecstatic are you bummed or are you pumped yeah you're thrilled and here's the thing your day has not changed The struggles you faced have not gone away. Your clothes are still stained red. You still aren't on the team. Facebook still has the rumors. Your math project still received an F. Everything is the same. And yet, all of a sudden, you have joy. Why? The gift you've received is bigger than the struggles you face. You see, suddenly... Your life is more defined by the gifts than the struggles. And friends, that's the story of Christmas. Jesus comes not to say that your struggles will go away, but he says, the gift of my son, the gift of God's free love is bigger than even the greatest struggles of this world. Some of you have had some struggles this year. Some of you are still facing them now. Some in this room are facing things that many of us can't even imagine. And Christmas doesn't come to say, hey, Jesus was born as a baby and now everything's going to be peachy keen. But Christmas does say this. Right in the middle of your life, right in the middle of whatever uncertainty or fear or mess that you're in, God wants to put this baby And he wants to remind you that he sees you. And he wants you to know that even though the path ahead may feel unpredictable, he knows the way. He wants to remind you that amidst the fear or anxiety, in the middle of all the struggles that you face, that with his son there can be peace. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
No one has ever seen God. But Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. The gift of this baby is that now we might live through him. That the joy of this gift would overwhelm our lives no matter what they entail, no matter what we face in this world. That's the gift of this baby. That's his gift at Christmas. Just a few minutes, the ushers are going to come down and help us light our candles as we prepare to sing Silent Night. But before they come, our worship team, Joel, is going to sing a song for us. It's been a tough year this year in our world. A year where we see just how fallen and broken and sinful we as a race and this planet is. And sometimes we wonder, is there hope? Is there peace? And I think one of the things God wants to tell us at Christmas is he has not forgotten us and that there is hope and that there is peace, even in a place like this. So let these words wash over your mind and heart. And I invite the ushers forward to help us light our candles.